Welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Driver Podcast. My name is James Rea. I write an automotive column for Bay Area News Group, which is San Jose Mercury and the East Bay Times in Walnut Creek. And I edit and publish theweeklydriver.com. It's been online since 2004. My friend and the co-host of the podcast uh, for the last almost six years now, uh, my buddy Bruce Aldrich, and today we have on a guest uh, for the third time, uh, enamored and fascinated and completely impressed with uh, Chris Miller, uh, and lives in rural Vermont, and uh, I have in front of me his flyer brochure book that's called Ten Stone Trucks. And as a quick introduction, um, I read about Steve, I read about Chris a while back and contacted him, and we've talked about his wonderful uh, masonry stone back-breaking cars that he's made. He's made five out of ten so far. So we thought we'd call Chris and find out, get an update from his world, and uh, he's on number six. So Chris, uh, welcome back um, to our program. Can I ask you if it's Callis or Calais, Vermont? Callis. Callis, thank you. I don't want to be uh, ousted from the, that wonderful community if I ever go to it. So, welcome back, Chris. Thanks for being available on short notice. Appreciate it. Let's let's talk about your your art world. How are you? Uh, great. Thanks for having me, and it's good to talk to you again. Could you just uh, go over for those we probably have some new listeners since the last time you were on? Um, would you mind? just um, going over um, your entree into the world of making these wonderful um, masonry stone wood uh, cars that you have now uh, around the country, five of them, and how it all began uh, for you. Well, it began about, I'd say, 12 or 13 years ago. I, I built a, a stone truck in my, in my yard just to have something to do in between projects. And, uh, you know, it has a, a flower bed in the back of the bed, and it's, it was kind of sloppy, but a uh, uh, very homemade-looking thing. And that was about 12 or 13 years ago. And then, uh, for some reason, because of this Internet thing, uh, three or so, three or four years ago, uh, it was an, somebody put in an article in, in one of the online things, and the phone started ringing like crazy. So I, I did one in um, in Georgia, just south of Atlanta. Uh, it was a, a like a 1940s Ford, and then uh, that one led to uh, a 1929 Ford, which I did in uh, uh, the Chesapeake in uh, Southern Maryland, and then that led to a uh, a 51 Ford in uh, West Texas, and then the uh, the most recent one was a uh, yeah, 53 Chevy, a listed Chevy uh, in Prescott, Arizona. So they're pretty much across the country. I do need to get out in California and do one. Yes. And you have number six on the horizon? Yeah, I'm working on number six now. And number six of the, I'll back up a little. My plan is to do 10 of them in my lifetime. Yes. I've got a lot. There are other sculpture work that uh, keeps me pretty busy, so these are pretty time-consuming. Uh, plus, I just turned 65, and I can't swing a hammer forever. Yes. So I've limited it to 10, figuring I can get that many done. And so number six is actually not a stone truck. It's a stone tractor. 
Fantastic. Oh, you're branching uh, out. Okay. Mm-hmm. In southern uh, Tennessee at a big farm, which is opening a big farm restaurant and event center and all that kind of stuff. And it's a 1944 John Deere tractor. And the cool thing is it's one and a half life size. The one I did in Arizona, the truck I did in Arizona was one and a quarter size, and that's enormous. And this is one and a half size. So oh, like, my. The back wheels are black granite. They're 18 inches wide, and they're seven and a half foot in diameter. Holy, holy now, Jesus. All be, <laughs> be carved. And then the whole tractor, and it'll have smoke coming out of the, out of the smokestack and the, and the whole bit. It's going to be enormous. Yes. That's amazing. Now, these, uh, these are sculptures that are really for somebody's museum or in front of their business. These things are large, and they're heavy, I'll bet, too, huh? Well, the last one uh, in Arizona, when I, I shipped all the parts out there, it was about 50,000 pounds. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Backbreaking. Yeah, they're, they're big. Chris, the... Um automotive industry you know with uh new cars uh, has taken a hit and i think we're kind of maybe coming through that with you know supply chains and so forth um has it been that way for you even though you're using different materials has it affected the availability of the things that you use in these masterpieces or are you unaffected by the automotive supply chain i'm nowhere near as affected as the uh, automotive thing and I, and I do hope they get their act together because I've been waiting uh, now 13 months on a new Ford. Okay. okay. They go into production next week, and I will believe it when I see it. Gotcha. But uh, go ahead. My, I don't have any microchips in them, so I'm pretty good. Although the, uh, the granite industry, and in, I'm in Barrie, Vermont, the granite, the granite center of the world, they call it. Yes. Uh, and the manufacturing there, uh, where I get all my materials and, and things, is going gangbusters. So it used to be I could, I could, uh, you know, call up one of the sheds, say I need a couple of pieces this size cut, and I'd go and pick them up uh, a week later. And now it's six months, so that it's a it's a lot of lead time getting materials. So it almost like, and the, it is like the automotive like, business now almost <laughs> long long so, wait so, periods, huh? Very long wait period, and you know it takes me you know six or eight months anyways to get one of these things built, but it's usually over about a year and a half because I have to get the materials ahead of time. And like the, um, the black granite I use for the wheels had to be imported uh, from, I think it's North Carolina, the black granite. And it took months and months to get there. And the price when I originally spec'd it out for the materials for just the wheels of it was $20,000. And when, when I got them, it was thirty-four thousand dollars just for the just for the wheel. So, Gosh, the price is up and the time frame is going up uh, ridiculously. If I remember correctly, uh, since we've um, been able to interview you a few times, you had uh, a small core of guys you could count on. I think friends and or acquaintances that sometimes had gone to projects with you, and in Arizona, yeah. for example, uh, and now this new one. Um, do you still have a guys who travel with you and then do you rely on, um, people in the area to do, you know, to work labor with you? Well, I do. I do have a group that goes with me. I have two key guys, one, uh, for, who's, uh, the founder of the stone trust in, uh, Vermont. Um, 
and then another uh, master stonewaller who's actually in Nashville. So uh, he's been on four of the trucks. The other guy's been on three of them. And then sometimes I'll have extra help. Like my son came out to Texas and, and helped me on, on that truck. And I have another neighbor who's helped me on a lot of projects at home. He flew out to Arizona for, for that project. So I usually have a crew of three or four uh, at each project. Although that's changing because originally like the early ones I did in Georgia and, and uh, Maryland, I did, uh, I, I made some of the parts at home. I shipped them down there and then I had some local stone or so I brought some stone with me and shaped them all in uh, on the site, which took an enormous amount of time. And you have to do it in whatever weather's there and you work long days. And now I'm starting to build more and more of it uh, in the, in the uh, shed where I have a, a bridge crane and I, you know, so the trucks now have more of an infrastructure underneath them, a steel in- infrastructure that holds, holds them up. So I don't have to build them on the place so I can build bigger components, pack them all together, ship them there and do sort of a final assembly on site. So they're going a little smoother, but it's still an enormous amount of work. Sure. And as you mentioned, you've turned 65 and before we called you, um, Bruce and I were discussing, you know, some home-based projects and he was working on a uh, sprinkler system and I was working on a uh, helping a, a guy uh, with a new landscaping and just digging a little bit of a an area to bury some wire and it was a full day and it was backbreaking but it was nothing compared to what you're doing so um, we, we never we never met but uh, how is it with a 65 year old body um, with the kind of work you do what what preparation do you must you do and and what's it like do you like go into an ice bath when you're done or do you get a massage or guzzle a few beers I, and just relax what's what's your what's your process. Uh, vitamin I, ibuprofen. Ibuprofen. Ah, perfect. G- gotcha, okay. gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> I mean, I, uh, I don't work as long a days as I used to. I mean, in the shop now, I work six or seven hour days instead of nine or 10 hour days like I did 20 years ago. Yes. I'm, uh, it's just insane. Um, but no, it's, it's very hard work. And it's, you know, what, when I'm doing them on the site, you know, it's usually three weeks straight without a day off. And it's, but I have the whole crew there so I can, you know, I'm there shaping stones and things, but when it comes time to do, to put a 400 pound stone in, we have a forklift, we have people that are, that are working and guided in and I can uh, take it a little easier on myself. Gotcha. The, look- the effect of it is what I've started to do the last few years is I try to be semi-retired. So I, I work six months very, very hard. And then I take, winter off gotcha. and I go to Mexico and I drink margaritas and I sit with my feet up and I try to recuperate. And then when I come back home, which I just got home May 1st, I've been straight out every day, cranking along on these, on some big sculpture projects. Gotcha. So I end up, end up finding that if I take half of the year off, I come back, I work really, really hard and I get almost as much done six months that it used to take me 12 months to do because I'm ready to go. I'm not, I'm not worn out. That's a good approach. Rest is a good well, thing. The, yep. The way I look at it is that I, I want to never retire completely because I really love doing this thing. So I figure if I work 12 months a year at this age, three or four years from now, I'm going to have to hang up my hammer. My shoulders will be shot and I'll be, I'll be trashed. 
if I can take half a year off and spread it out, I should be able to get another decade or more in. So I'm trying to buy some time. Great. Chris, uh, before you I hang up your hammer, before you hang up your hammer, uh, what would you like to build? What kind of vehicle? You've done trucks. Uh, you're working on a tractor. What would be in yeah. the cards? Uh, sports car? Well, that's very, very interesting. I've got a whole bunch of plans of things I'd love to do. Uh, I always tell people when I get calls, you know, probably once a week because it goes on the Internet and people go crazy about it. And people are like, I want one of these in my yard. And then I, I tell them that, you know, what's involved in it and what a cost might be. And most people are, are kind of blown away and sticker shock. But, you know, of, of the serious inquiries I, I take, I tell people the criteria is that every project has to be different than the one before. I'm not going to do the same truck again. And every one of them is going to be more complex, more artistic, more interesting, and more fun, and probably more expensive. They have got so sure. out of the next. Well, I'm working on number six right now, and I'm in negotiations for number seven, which is uh, number seven. I think is going to be a dual wheel Dodge truck, a forty forty something Dodge truck, dual wheeled in uh, just outside of Kansas City. That'll be two years from now. Um, but what I'd really love to do, my dream car, uh, I really love the, um, the 30s look, uh, that kind of the low windshield gangster look. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay, yeah. sure. The ideal car for me would be, I think it's a 1934 uh, Duesenberg, like J-Coupe or something like that. I've, I've got it in, on, on my notes. But it's probably 19 or 20 feet long. It's really low, and it's got that long cab, and the and the windshield's maybe 10 inches high. It's a big, long windshield with a visor over it. And it has a because I did a 29 Ford, and I have I love that look. Yes, so it's I'm, pretty. I'm, I'm waiting for you know a you know I, I can I can be picky now because I'm only doing so many more, and I've got plenty of other work, so I, I'm not hungry about it, and I want to choose carefully what the next the last two or three of them are going to be in the series and i'm waiting for like a, a, a car museum i've talked to several of them a car museum or a, a big collector or a, a business that's looking for a, a spectacular feature that's going to uh, you know really turn heads and hopefully somebody with the budget that can do it but i really want to do a car like that you know, with the with the four pipes coming out the side. You know, beautiful, beautiful cars. Yes, I'm looking at the catalog here, and the picture at um, uh, Moore Ranch brings to mind. Um, since it's been a few years now, what kind of uh, can you uh, share a couple of reactions you've got? I mean, with the with the uplighting on that on that truck at that ranch, it's just spectacular. You must have gotten some feedback from people who can't believe what they're looking at or want to know more or whatever the reactions have been. Could you share a couple? Sure. I mean, I get a lot of reactions when, when I'm on site. And then since then, a lot of people have emailed me and talked about it. Um, that one particular was a, was a great one because I added like headlights, working headlights and taillights and, uh, and the landscaping was a little more intricate. And of course the big water features that I have with, I work with Aquascape out of Chicago, um, got, was a really spectacular water feature. Um, people, 
people just can't really put, wrap their unless they're watching me work on it. They can't wrap their heads around that it's stone and how it could possibly go together. And these things are on a on a frame now where you can look underneath and it's sort of they're floating and how does the weight get carried and all that kind of stuff. And they they really can't wrap their heads around how it how it's possible to make something like that in stone. And one of the interesting uh, reactions I get at pretty much every site I'm on, there's always landscapers around and things. And, and I, you know, I, I post a lot of that online and I get people from, you know, like when I was in Arizona, people came in from California and Nevada and Colorado and things, uh, uh, stone workers that are, you know, they build stone walls or they do landscaping and hardscaping and everything. And one of the, one of the reactions I get from, from a lot of them is like, so where do you get blueprints for something like that? <laughs> I have to laugh because if, if you think there's blueprints, you really shouldn't be doing this kind of work. That's right. That's right. Like, think about a vehicle that you want to build and then reverse engineer in your mind and figure out how to support the weight and how to cantilever things out and how, how the curves go and how to shape the stone and everything. And if you think that there's a plan for that kind of thing and they're not one off, a lot of people just, just, they could probably do the work, but they just really can't conceive of how to get from, from an image of a car to the final product. And that's, that's the whole game. I mean, it's, that's the sculpture part of it, where you have to kind of be able to sort of see it in your mind ahead of time. Yes. I, I don't see how you do it either. Uh, do you use a computer? <laughs> does, it, does the computer aid you, or is it sketching, uh, draftsmanship? What well, is it? I, I have a computer. <laughs> I don't, no, no, I'm I'm a dinosaur. I will get a piece of you know graph paper out. I'll I'll usually try to download some schematics of a you know a vintage car because there's always these you know scaled drawings and things you can get. But I, I usually I'll go and I'll especially like the one in Texas was an exact replica of the guy's uh, Ford, and he wanted the same size and shape exactly. So. I went out with a tape measure, measured and photographed the car from a thousand different angles, measured, you know, the distance from the wheel to wheel well, measured every single thing. And then I sit down with a piece of graph. I mean, I sit down and just do some quick drawings and then a, a graph paper. I measure it all out. I know the size of stone I need. I know what's going to carry weight. I know, you know, how far the, the like the uh, running boards have to cantilever out to make them effective. Uh, how the windows get attached, things like that. And I just, I draw it all out to scale. And then I take, um, you know, like the, the door would have a, a, a curve, you know, from the bottom to the top, a nice bowed out, especially the old ones that were all bubble shaped and the fenders and things. And I will uh, take a piece of plywood, cut that curve out. And then when I'm building it, I use that as a form. You know, as I'm building it up, I keep checking with it, you know, a mason would use a level and keep the things nice and square and bricklayers would use, you know, a line and things. But when you're doing a curve, you want to be really careful about following the curves. And usually there's a curve going in both directions. So you have this compound thing and you have to keep checking as you're going to make sure you're not going out of, out of bounds. So it's all just pencil drawings. <laughs> and then I usually uh, take the pencil drawings and uh, laminate them and bring them to work there and make all notes on them and things. And then at the end, frame them, 
give them to the client. They usually hang them up so they're all tattered. And... Well, that's that's quite a process, Chris. What, what do you do as far as the uh, finishes and whether it's going to be polished or, I don't know, black granite versus a lighter granite? Do you pick all those or does the client help help with that? Well, uh, it depends on the project, but usually they have an idea of what they what they like. Uh, sometimes it's local field stone and it's just a mixed match of colors. And some of the, some of them are different colored granites laid up. And then some of them, like the, uh, the one I did in Arizona, it was, uh, uh, the Chevy was a two tone where the fenders are one color and the body's another color, Yes, which was pretty standard in that, in that era. So I, I did the body in a gray granite with a mixed gray, two or three different kinds of granites and mixed. So it was a darker and then the fenders I did in a pink granite, and those were all carved, uh, sort of cut out the shape of the fender and then carved the shape of them. So those were solid. So you have the, the solid carved texture on, on the fenders with one color, and then the body has a deeply textured individual stone in a, in a different color stone. So like in the, uh, the grills, uh, I'll use uh, uh, like a marble in you know, the grills usually have a, a, a layered look. So I'll use a marble, and then I'll, I'll inset a darker granite to cre- create a shadow inside that. And then I work on the, uh, the headlights. I usually make them out of marble with a little pin light in the middle. And marble's really translucent, so the whole thing is sort of concave. So it kind of it shines through the, through the marble, so the whole thing glows like a real headlight. Very cool effect. Yes. Like the granite. The... The way that you put together or had somebody put together uh, the catalog or the I don't know, small book, whatever, I'm, I'm not sure what you call it. Yeah. The, the pictures are very yeah, representative. Book. Yeah, it's, it's a terrific yeah. uh, marketing um, book. Just so they can sort of see the progression, how it goes from a rough one, as you can see in the beginning. Yes. And then, you know, and then slowly they, they get to where you can see underneath them and it, there's a lot more infrastructure. So they get more and more complicated. Yes. And they get more fun than me. The, the enthusiasm in, in your work comes through loud and clear. It's great. Um, two questions come to mind. Um, when you're building these, um, is there a time when you, um, how do I say it the right way, where you cover it up and there's an unveiling? Or it, does everybody see all of the progress as it goes along so the uh, final product isn't necessarily unveiled all at once, but people just get to see it as it's being built, or do you do have an unveiling on each one? Well, not a real unveiling, and we don't deliberately cover it up. Yes. Uh, although most of them I'll put a tent up, you know, to work underneath because the weather is pretty intense. And like in Arizona and Texas, you need it from the heat. Yes. Although when I was in Texas, it was during that big storm when it was six degrees below zero. Yikes. So you can never depend on the weather. So you're usually having a tent, and what happens is people are driving by, and they're like, what's going on in the tent? And then on nice days, you open up the sides, and, and people slam on their brakes, and they're like, I can't believe what's being built here, kind of <laughs> yeah. thing. Yes. Sometimes there's not an unveiling. Like the one in Texas, which was um, at a private home, but he had uh, it was in front of his man cave where he had three or four of his prize collection vehicles. Yes. Aquascape out of uh, who does uh, the water features? They're out of Chicago, and they've done they've done three of my trucks now, and uh, they're real professionals. They're really great to work with, 
and they're they're really good at their video blogging. So when we did, they came down and videoed videoed while the thing was being built, and you could look up uh, Texas Stone Truck on on the um, uh, YouTube and see a lot of videos of the process of integrating the water feature with the sculpture. But then when we did the unveiling, they flew down one of their video guys and interviewed all the people and things, and that's also on YouTube. They're very interesting videos. If you get it. I'll have to check those out. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds interesting. Chris, I'd be remiss in, in if I didn't mention that, you know, before these wonderful projects, uh, you had a long, successful career, you know, as an artist. Um, I've seen some of the, much of the work with these, you know, big pieces that you've done for administrative buildings and, and that sort of thing. So you came in to these projects, you know, after a, a very successful long career. I guess my question is, um, like any artist, you see progress in your work. So from number one to number five, could you give us some idea of um, how you've um, the progression, the progression, and, and satisfied, and, and the advancement, and more technique, or the things that you learned from number one to number five. Yes, definitely. I mean, you're right. I'm I'm still very active in the in the sculpture world. I'm I'm working on some really big projects right now. Um, but I sort of started out. Uh, you know, I I would do. Um, you know, I'd build stone walls around the neighborhood when you know. Uh, just to get out of the shop in the summertime when it's too nice to be in the shop. And I'd take a week or two and I'd go build a wall somewhere or some kind of structure. And that's what, <laughs> who does it? I, I get it. I do that all the time, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> well, when, when you do backbreaking work, why not take, take a week off and lift stones? Sure. <laughs> go ahead. So that inspired the, the first one, which was just a little landscape art in my yard. Uh, the first truck, um, as a way to integrate, uh, my my sort of uh sculptural ideas with you know dry stone sculpt uh, dry stone stonework and it sort of blended those two together but then as they progressed um as i was saying each one has to be more complex and more fun and more interesting they've they've definitely taken on more of a um uh, a sculptural uh, feel to them where it's not just a pile of rocks it has a, a very fine grill it has a, a shape that is really identifiable and then each one of them has gotten uh, if you look through that the book the first one is just built right up from the ground and the second one i kind of cantilevered the fender or the uh, two um uh bumper and the uh front uh front bumper and back bumper so that you could see underneath it and then the next one had a steel frame and you could you could see front to back and the next one was completely lifted off the ground. So it looks like it's completely sitting on the wheels. Uh, and then the water flowed from underneath the vehicle. So each one of them has gotten more complex and more fun to build. And then the water features have gotten more and more elaborate. First, the first one had just a little bit of water coming out of it. And the next one's had a, had a real sheet, uh, a sheet waterfall coming out. And then the, it would go from pond to pond to pond and different waterfalls. So working with the uh, aquascape uh, contractors has been, been great because they, they have really good vision about um, how to integrate water features with sculpture. And they've sort of grown in their ideas, each one of these they do. So every time there's a new one, they get really excited about how can we make this next one cooler and better and more fun. 
I, I can so, see the progression. I mean, like you say, it started out as a pile of rocks, <laughs> a very nice one. And then now, like you say, I, I would call it like machining the rock. I, I don't know what you call it in the, in the stone business, but it's each piece is like, carving. what is it? Carving. And carving. carving. Yeah. It's carved. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, Chris, yeah, I also want to mention that, you know, you mentioned YouTube and there are been other publications, um, uh, I don't know if any other podcasts, but um, print publications, online publications have written about you. And, of course, your website is Chris Miller Studio, so people can take a look. And you're pretty active on social media. You have different uh, social media right. outlets, so people can get a really good idea of you know what you have going on. And I, I can't imagine anybody looking at it and not being blown away by what these, these works of art are all about. Um, and I think you said it a few times, I can't really put my arms around it figuratively exactly what you're doing, but it's just fantastic. So um, people should check it out. Yeah, the, the website itself, I'm, I'm sort of letting the website go. It's just too much work because I'm spending more and more time just documenting things on Instagram and Facebook. But Yes. So it's, you know, Chris Miller Studio on Instagram has, you know, all the different photos from way, way back on that kind of stuff. So it's, it's pretty easy to find. Great. Chris, thanks again um, for taking the time. Sure. I just contacted you yesterday, and it was very nice of you to be available today. And um, I could—I know Bruce probably feels the same way. We could talk to you all day long about what you do. But uh, for now, we just want to thank you and invite everybody to check out your work online. And, and best of luck in number six and number seven. And I'm sure we'll be talking again. So thank you, sir, very much. Well, thank you for having me. It's been fun. Thanks. Okay. Thanks. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thanks. Thanks.